This is American Real, where we aim to inspire, empower, and enlighten you through the stories of our guests. Here's your host, Roger Brooks. What happened at the age of six? What was going on where your mother said, if you don't do this yourself, you're going to end up in a wheelchair? Someone at the school I was going to called her one night and told her that they should take me in for neck and back x-rays because they didn't think something was quite kosher. She took me to an orthopedic surgeon. That surgeon determined there were so many issues in my spine and my back, my shoulder and all of that. He said I would be paralyzed by the time I was 13. This is when I was six. I kind of told my mom I didn't want to accept that. So ultimately she took me to three orthopedic surgeons. They all agreed that due to the spinal issues that I have, that there was no way I was going to avoid a wheelchair by the time I was 13. And I asked my mom after the last doctor visit if these guys all knew what they were talking about. And she told me, if you're not gonna be in a wheelchair, it's gonna be up to you to prove them wrong. This is American Real. I am Roger Brooks. My guest today is Keith Brewer. You help people over 40 look and feel younger by defying convention and showing little-known Eastern and Western methods to improve appearance, heal chronic issues, and get back, as you say, in fighting shape. You do this by demonstrating how to regain vitality and independence so people can age with style. At six years old, you were told that you would be in a wheelchair by the age of 13. After your mother told you it would be up to you to prove them wrong, you discovered the healing and meditation art of Qigong, practicing that and learning and studying martial arts throughout your life have allowed you to remain mobile, strong, and fit. Keith, welcome to the show. Thank you, Roger. I'm glad to be here. Yes, we've been planning this for so long, and I'm so you know, happy to have you on today because you have such a great story. I cannot wait to share it. And you and I met through David Breyer's Brand Intervention Masterclass, which is part of the American Real Academy. Um, and I'd love for you to share with our audience a little bit about that process, why you enrolled into that masterclass, and what it actually did to help you with your brand. All right. Um, well, starting with, I got a job offer one day to teach Qigong in the community at $50 an hour. And initially, I was extremely happy to be getting paid that much to teach Qigong, because usually I literally do it for free or for very little. And by the end of that day, I was literally angry about the fact that I would get happy about occasionally making that much money, because that's not a living wage. And, you know, I have to make a living wage. So I came home knowing that I have to do something different. I have to change how I'm promoting myself and how I'm seeing presenting myself to the world. And I walked in the house, told my wife that, and she said, well, I just saw this video ad for a brand intervention class by this guy named David Breyer. I had never heard of him before, but I checked out his promo. I really thought I connected with him even there. I could tell he's not just reading a script. He's just talking off the cuff. And I, I thought the guy really had it going on. So I scheduled my little zoom conference with him we talked for about a half hour and i really loved the guy and i really thought this was what was supposed to happen and i was supposed to sign up for this course so i signed up and um 
the one takeaway, I don't want to go on and on about this, but the one takeaway I'll say about that course, as far as what it, where it touched me was he talked about how you, you take on the baggage of any industry or any field that you go into. And I'm fully aware of the baggage of a Tai Chi teacher, meaning people see you as somebody teaching on a beach that'll work for a loaf of bread or something. And I mean, that's absolutely what people have done. They've brought me bread and thought that should be cool. And I, I really appreciated all of that, but it's not a living wage. I need to make a living wage. So David helped me see that I had to rebrand the whole thing, present myself to the world in a different way. So that's where I'm at today as the monk without the funk. <laughs> I love it. I, I just love that name. And I know because I've been on some of these calls where you actually have a T-shirt now and it says, uh, oh, there it is. Keep it there for a moment. Let's take another look at it. Uh, right. Don't ask. So what a great branding um, piece of material right there. Obviously, people will ask what it means. Right. How how has that been going out uh, on the street? Um, that actually works really well. I mean, I wear, I've got four of them, four different colors, really bright, bold colors. This is almost the most subdued color I have, but um, it works really well. Some days I just get looks and nobody dares approach me. Other days, people literally say, oh man, I have to ask. And, and it does start conversations and that's literally what you need to do is get a conversation going. So I think it was a great idea to brand the t-shirt and say, don't ask. Right. So just uh, to, before we get into your story, curious about, you know, I know David's whole theme is the art of differentiation, right? So right. set yourself apart from others within your same field. Do you feel now that you have this identity that you have done that, that you're able to differentiate? Oh, I absolutely do. I mean, first of all, I feel like looking at the field that I'm in and how everybody else is presenting themselves they they present themselves right up front as being oh i'm the the brand i'm the the fitness coach fitness coach fitness coach and by branding myself as monk without the funk and making people ask about it it is completely different and my website does not look like theirs and it's a, got a whole different look to it and um i really love the fact that i i do think i'm setting myself apart and i would not have done that had i not taken david's course so let's jump into your story. And I would really like to start because I am, you know, so curious what what happened at the age of six? What was going on where your mother said, if you, you know, uh, if you don't do this yourself, that you're end up you're going to end up in a wheelchair. OK, now um, what happened, I guess, from talking to my mom was someone at the school I was going to called her one night and told her that they should take me in for neck and back x-rays because they didn't think something was quite kosher. So she took me to an orthopedic surgeon. That surgeon determined there were so many issues in my spine and my back, my shoulder and all of that, that he said I would be paralyzed by the time I was 13. This is when I was six. So I, I kind of told my mom I didn't want to accept that. So ultimately she took me to three orthopedic surgeons. They all agreed that due to the spinal issues that I have and the misalignment of the structure, <clears throat> that there was no way I was going to avoid a wheelchair by the time I was 13. And I asked my mom after the last doctor visit if these guys all knew what they were talking about. And she told me, it's, those are the best doctors available for where we're at. And if 
if you're not going to be in a wheelchair, it's going to be up to you to prove them wrong. So um, we lived on a fairly remote farm in upstate New York at that time. I had grown up in a church environment, and I had only been allowed to read the Bible on that farm. My dad was very strict. So I had read that book three times cover to cover by the time I was six. And so after everybody else went to sleep at night, I would go out in the woods and I had two concepts in my head from, from reading that book. One was the fact that if you learn to listen to the voice of the spirit, it'll talk to you. And the other was you have to be an empty vessel or you can't be filled. So I, I didn't even really fully understand those concepts at that point, but I, I felt like those were important things to keep in mind. So empty, I understood. I just had to keep my mind empty. And learning to listen to a voice, I, I interpreted as it's not going to speak in audible English to where I could understand. So I had to learn to see other methods of communication. But I went out to the woods, I looked at the sky, and in my head I thought, if you're who they say you are, you're going to help me. So literally taunting the spirits, right? And, and I believe that I connected with at least what you would call a spirit guide at that point. Because I, I just stood there after that, and I suddenly felt compelled to move in certain ways. And I really didn't know what was going on, but as a child, I think only a child can do this. No questions, no doubt. I went out there for a reason. I felt like doing something I'd never done before. I never for a second doubted that this was going to help. So I, I continued doing those moves. I went out every night and continued doing those moves. And I never said anything to anyone for a long time because I didn't know what they were. I thought of them as my secret moving meditations. They obviously kept me from being paralyzed. But I found out years later that these two things that I learned those nights out there were two very legitimate Qigong exercises from ancient China, and both of them designed specifically for spinal strength and flexibility. So, um, yeah, that's what I thought. Uh, and so that caused me, once I got off the farm and into suburbia, shall we say, to just pour myself into the study of Qigong, Tai Chi, Kung Fu, all of that. And I've just been there all my life. I've been teaching since I was 15. Wow. So give us a little more detail if you can Keith about so that when you were six and a lot of people can't even remember when they were six so you obviously have a, a great recollection of this but say you know six through whatever 10 11 13 what was were you continuing to do these exercises that just came to you intuitively um yes every from six to ten we moved off the farm when I was ten so from the age of six when I started to ten Every night I would go out to the woods and do these exercises. And I literally did them six or seven hours a night. And I was dead tired for the rest of the day in school, but I found school work to be fairly easy. So I, I, I was okay with that. And then I'd go out the next night after everybody went to sleep and um, continue doing the exercises. I, I felt like these doctors were so sure of themselves that I was gonna be paralyzed that if I had a way out of that, I needed to really devote myself to it. And I guess I was a little more committed as a six-year-old than most people are, but I feel like I had um, motivation to. I really did not want to get in, you know, committed to that wheelchair. And I also understood that growing up on farm life was all about doing chores. Everybody had chores. 
And if I suddenly couldn't do my chores, somebody else had to take the brunt of that work. And I, I was a responsible little kid. I didn't want somebody else to have to do my work for me. So I poured myself into it. And when was it that you went, I'm sure you went back for visits with the doctors. When did they figure out that, okay, things are actually going in the right direction? I mean, I'll jump ahead quite a few years into where I'm in a medical college right now, um, just to answer that question, because I had a doctor of chiropractic teaching a class and she palpated my spine while she was teaching the class. And at the end of that lecture, she whispered to me, I don't even know how you walked in here today. You, you're, you're, you shouldn't be able to walk. So um, I don't think Western doctors have yet agreed that I should be doing what I'm doing, but I'm fine, as you can tell. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Well, thank you for sharing that story. I think it's really important as we dive into what you're doing today and, and you know the trajectory of how you got there. Let's talk about your whole unique style of meditation. What does that include and how did you come up with this? Okay, it, it all began back there on the farm where I was in the woods. And what I've learned since then is, let's talk about standard meditations first. Um, usually when you, you hear the word meditation, I think most people think of someone sitting with their legs crossed and you know, and, and their little ch finger chimes and all of that. I've learned through medical college that sitting for over 20 minutes at a time, your brain's hardwired to register that you're not using your lower body and it just decreases all the energy flow through your lower body. Some standard um, complaints when people are starting to learn to meditate is, you know, tingling, numbness, pain, cramping. All of those are, are also the same list of side effects to decreased circulation in the lower body. Um, Chinese philosophy has always taught that we die from the feet up. So this is all about no circulation in the lower body. Um, and chronic lack of circulation in the lower body leads to um, deep vein thrombosis. It leads to uh, ulcers, all kinds of things, heart disease. So my style of meditation that I teach is a standing meditation. The standing posture that I innately figured out in the beginning turns out to be according to ancient Chinese thought, again, um, the one posture you can put your body in that'll open up the flow through the entire system. So I, I believe in this standing meditation. I think that everyone should be shifting from seated to this. Um, this is never going to cause a shutdown of circulation. It's only going to increase the circulation through your lower system. And can you take us through this, Keith? Uh, what would it, you know, so if I was taking a a class from you, for example, what, what are we doing? How long is it? And what types of things are we doing throughout the duration of this class? Um, initially, in the very beginning stages, I, I would be showing you just how to stand in the posture and I'll run through it briefly. So if anybody's listening, they can try to get connected to it. Where your heater, feet are about hip width with the toes pointed forward, the knees are gonna be softened so you're not locking the back. You're gonna soften the knees just so your hips can drop down a little bit. Um, the hip position is neutral, which is a little tricky for people in the beginning. So I'm just, these days I think about lifting gently from the abdomen or stomach area because that puts your hips in a neutral position and that lengthens the muscles in your lower back or lumbar spine. 
And then you're going to be thinking about this invisible thread coming out of the crown of your head going up into the heavens that's just holding you in that posture. So you can mentally relax your muscles and think in terms of it's not your skeletal structure holding you in this posture, it's that energy pulling up from your head. And that energy is also connected to lengthening the neck or cervical spine and pulling the chin slightly straight back. So you've got this um, we have a normal lower back curve and a normal neck curve that people talk about normal. I don't think you'll, you're never going to take those curves out of the spine, but we're going to soften the curves just so energy can flow up and down through the spine. Um, then your breathing is going to be with the mouth closed, but relaxed, you know, and not clamping down. You're not causing any energy there. The tongue is resting against the roof of the mouth, gently touching the back of the teeth. And then you're inhaling and exhaling through the nose. And the thing that I find amazing about this style of breathing is we breathe in the West high up into our chests. We puff up our chest and we look all like super people. Um, this tends to bring energy and tension up into the neck and shoulders. And since we're constantly breathing that way, we never release that tension in the neck and shoulders. And then I hear people talking all the time about, oh, my shoulders are just so sore. I'm like, yeah, that's because of the way you're breathing. So... We're dropping down to a spot that's a couple of finger widths below the belly button. So it looks like belly breathing and yoga, but it's a very specific point about a third of the way back into the body. And what I find amazing about this is no matter where you go in the world, if you look at a baby that was just born, this is how they're breathing. Then babies learn from their parents how to do everything. So they look at their parents at some point and think, oh, the parents are breathing up here. And we're taught in early physical ed classes to just puff up your chest, fill up your chest. So we're literally taught to breathe in what I consider to be uh, not the best way. So doing deep belly breathing, I, I'm going to call it that. It's called Dantian breathing in China, but we don't have time to get into where is the Dantian. I've basically a couple of finger widths below your belly button and then about a third of the way back into your body. And then as you inhale through your nose, that expands. So it's kind of counterintuitive to some people, but I like to tell people it's not a new way of breathing that you have to learn. You did this as a newborn baby. This is a way that you just have to remember how to breathe. And it's the body, again, is wired for looking for what we call homeostasis. So that's a good balance. So it's going to recognize if you practice this breathing, keeping your body nice and spine nice and straight. And you can do it seated. Just don't slouch back. Just sit up nice and tall. Um, I tend to think of it's the way you sit when your parents took you to church. And they told you to sit up nice and straight. And you sit up nice and straight. So you keep your shoulders relaxed and down. And think of that energy coming out of the crown of your head, keeping that neck spine a little bit lengthened. And again, pulling your chin straight back a little bit. I had a chiropractor once tell me that if people would just get into the habit of pulling their chins straight back, it would correct a lot of the postural issues we're having today because people look at their devices a lot and they're craned forward. It's causing a lot of tension in the neck and spine, and that's causing energy to be decreased or literally cut off going into and out of the brain. So, so we have our positioning, we have our breathing, and then from a meditative standpoint where where's our mindset in this session 
Okay, our mindset, you're looking for a peaceful, serene, disconnected mindset, which is a little difficult for people to do. Because um, initially when you're learning, you're listening to the teacher talk, so that's not disconnected. Then I'm in a class, I'm going to be giving you different visualizations to help get the most out of this. So again, you're listening and listening and listening. But once you get this and you understand what you're doing, you want to look for a peaceful, disconnected um, state of mind. So uh, I, I hear a lot of meditational teachers saying, empty your mind. And I literally tend to think, my mind's not going to be empty till I'm dead. All right. Um, you cannot empty your mind. I don't believe that's going to happen. What you can do is order and calm your thoughts. So as you're standing there breathing and trying to be disconnected, first of all, learn to turn off your phone for just a few minutes. Um, I think people in today's world are afraid to turn off their phones. They think the whole world's going to fall apart the minute I don't have my phone on. Um, probably not. You know, all those problems that or challenges that you have to deal with are going to be there waiting for you. Just turn it off for a few minutes. Learn that you, you aren't needed all the time. Some of this is all about self-care and taking care of yourself. So this is the most important thing. Even in medical college, I teach people all the time that we're always taking care of people. But if you don't take care of yourself first, you're going to drain yourself out and you're not going to be good to anybody. So now, how long of a session is a typical meditation session like this? Well, if, if, we're, in, if we're in a class or if you're by yourself? Yeah, both. Okay. In a class, I, my classes tend to go in this part of it, they tend to go about 20 minutes. Okay. Um, and I always admonish, or admonish is probably not the best word there. I always tell people that when you're practicing by yourself, don't worry about going more than three to five minutes, right? Because three to five minutes every day is way better than 30 minutes every week or an hour every month or something. This is all about cumulative effect. So the more you do, the more effect you get from it. And I tend to believe and have seen this happen over time. If you only shoot for three to five minutes every day, nobody can tell me they don't have three minutes. All right. This is like, no, you're just fooling yourself if you're telling me that. So you have three minutes. And if you focus on doing three minutes, five minutes every day, you're going to find out that some days you actually went for 20 minutes. Some days you went for a half hour. Now, I, I worked with somebody. I'll, I'll just quickly, one of the examples of how powerful this is. I worked with a guy that came into our acupuncture clinic with daily blood pressure readings of 200 over 100. Now, this is prime stroke territory. And he came in asking if acupuncture would lower his blood pressure. In a lot of cases, acupuncture will. But when you have readings like that, acupuncture can actually trigger a stroke. So we're, we're like, no, man, sorry. Then the whole room turned and looked at me and said, um, can Qigong help? And I said, let's find out. So I went to work with him and um, it took nine months because I told him, I like to ask people to do three to five minutes a day. The ancient Chinese Qigong practitioners used to say we should all be doing this an hour a day. Mm. But I told him, I, I asked for three to five minutes because I, I know today it's a busy day, world, and not. And I'm going to just scare people off if I say, you want to do an hour a day, man. 
and I, but I told him I would shoot for an hour a day and don't rush it. Do three to five minutes a day and let it build up. It took him nine months to be able to stand in that posture, doing that breathing. And that's all I asked him to do. It nothing fancy. Stand in that posture, do that breathing. And in nine months, he came back to me and told me, I can do that for an hour a day. And guess what? My blood pressure is normal. And unbelievably, my cholesterol numbers came down into normal range too, just from doing that. So uh, I believe, and I've seen a lot of other things happen just from some very simple things. And I believe that this is a very powerful thing that we should all be doing. Yeah, and I was going to ask, you know, what what are the benefits? What what are the health benefits of of doing this on a daily basis? Is it just that? Is it keeping your body in in more balance, which will regulate our you know our numbers? That that's primarily it. Um, the Mayo Clinic and American Medical Association, the first things they acknowledged about Qigong like twenty years ago was it controls stress levels. Um, I will just say that in today's world, both of those organizations, American Medical Association, Mayo Clinic, are acknowledging that stress is the underlying cause of 92% of the reasons we go to see a doctor. So outside of stress, we're going to see a doctor because um, I just cut my arm off or something. Stress is causing a lot of issues. And some of the diseases that stress doesn't actually cause, like cancer, um, feeds on stress. So even if you got cancer through some other reason, like I just worked with a cervical cancer patient and over a few months we were able to, she was at stage three when she came to me, and over a few months we were able to reverse that progression and shrink the tumor and get her back into stage two. And last time she went to a doctor, she reported back to me and said they could not find the tumor. So this is all Qigong. Um, and it's all some very simple exercises, basically what I just told you with a few added um, um, visualizations. It's all the visualizations all come in to be specific to what issue you're trying to take care of. Um, but if you have no overt issues, just doing this tends to keep them from happening. So yes, the, this is basically all about keeping yourself internally healthy and strong. Mm so much we could learn from this and it's just fascinating. So I know people want to know more about the aging process. And uh, as you say, it doesn't have to be a decline in function. So if you can, can you talk a little bit about this? Why are you so passionate about uh, helping people stay young and, uh, you know, from the mindset as well as the physical presence? Okay. I, um, First of all, when I was young, and we all hear this, there's only two things certain in life, death and taxes, right? Right. The first time I heard that, I thought, wow, is death really certain? I'm not sure. I'm a rebellious kind of sort of person. So I set out to prove that decay is not necessary. And I've met people, like I was working with this older guy, and he asked me to do something. He said, I'm not, as, I'm not as strong as I used to be. And I told him, you can recover your strength. And he said, well, I'm not going to do that. And I really was confused by that because if you can recover your strength, why wouldn't you want to do that? All right. Um, first of all, I think, and it bugs me when people say that. It really gets to me when people say, well, you just have to get weak as you get older. I'm like, no, you don't. 
Okay, you can maintain your strength. If you stay strong through your life, I remember when I was 30, I thought, I'm going to work out forever. I'll never get weak. And, you know, I get busy and I got overweight and I got weak. And I thought, um, no, I'm not going to stay that way. I could get that mindset. And this gets back to, I think you mentioned mindset. This is the most important first step. You have to get it out of your mind that decay is inevitable. You have to get, just tell yourself, no, no, it's not. You, I mean, obviously, if you're over 30 or over 40 and you're overweight and you've lost some strength, it's not easy to get back to it. So I think a lot of people make excuses for themselves and, and they say, well, you know, it happens to everybody. That phrase right there just drives me crazy. Okay. It is an excuse. And I don't believe in making excuses for myself. And I don't like to hear them from other people because I think, no, you just have to find the right workout path. Obviously, if you're 40 and over and you used to work out, you can't just jump back to that workout you did when you were 30. You're going to hurt yourself. So you have to find a path back to that and start with different types of workouts. And that mindset that you're going to get back there is the most important thing. I'm as strong now as I was when I was 30, and I don't even talk about how old I am, but I'm not 30. <laughs> um, and I did lose it at one point. I just posted on LinkedIn about how did I go from 218 to 147. And, and it's all about, well, in the simple formula is burn more calories every day than you take in. And it's really a simple formula. People like to overcomplicate the weight loss thing and do fad diets and crazy diets. Those are not healthy, sustainable diets. Um, focusing on burning more calories than you took in is a sustainable diet. It involves um, activity, but the human body was meant to be moved, and that's when it's the healthiest. Uh, we just have a very sedentary lifestyle these days. A lot of people sit at their computers all day and then go home and sit in front of the TV all day, all night. Um, that's not going to do it. That's, that's going to get you to that where I was, where I was 218 pounds. I used to watch a lot of TV. I hardly watch any TV at all at this point. I don't have a couch or a lazy boy. I mean, I think that's an amazing thing. They call them lazy boys, mm -hmm. right? What does that tell you? Those aren't in my living room right now. My living room is dominated by a heavy bag stand and um, martial arts weapons. So they remind me that you got to work out. You got to train your body. You got to keep your body strong. Um, I had a, a recent teacher that was teaching that flexibility is a key element to longevity. And I pointed out to him that strength is a key element to flexibility because weak muscles can't stretch. And he actually looked, looked off into the distance for a minute and, and then told the class, yeah, absolutely. That, that's actually correct. Weak muscles can't stretch, and flexibility is a key to longevity. So we have to keep ourselves strong, and, and that doesn't mean you have to lift weights. There are all kinds of activities that will keep your muscles strong. Um, I do lift weights, but um, mostly I work out with uh, martial arts weapons. This is one of the reasons why I promote martial arts weapons. It's not like we're going to need to go out into a sword battle in the streets <laughs> in this day and age. But working out with those weapons develops fluid strength. So you're not like lifting weights. You're developing what I think of as static strength. You're making these muscles strong and then making these muscles strong. But you're not teaching your body 
to make them work together. When you work out with martial arts, it works your whole body together. And Keith, can you take us back a little bit on the calories in, calories out? So just for a little bit of education. So if, for example, if someone consumes 2,500 calories in a given day, what does our body naturally burn? And, you know, because obviously it takes a, a lot to burn, say, 500 calories uh, through exercise. How, how does that ratio work? And so how, I'm, I'm trying, what I'm trying to get at is how much do we need to exercise in a given day with a basic, you know, with a normal diet? With a normal diet? Well, a normal diet, basically, you know, it's all based on size, you know, weight and all of that. But average calorie intake is about 2,000 calories a day to maintain what weight you have. So if, you, if you're going like 3,000 calories a day, you're probably going to be gaining weight. Um, <clears throat> just a few years ago, in order to figure out how many calories any given exercise burns, you'd literally have to go to a doctor's office and get wired up with all kinds of stuff and then do treadmill, do bike and do jogging and do all that stuff. And they would tell you how many calories this is burning, how many calories that's burning. The ACE certification process, that's um, one of the nationally recognized fitness trainer certifications. They say that you should actually be doing 20 to 30 minutes of aerobic exercise a day, five days a week to, to burn calories. Now, one of the coolest things I think in this modern world is they've come up with fitness trackers. I have a Fitbit. Uh, I think Fitbit is the best of these because it tracks all kinds of stuff besides calories but as long as you enter into your um interface what you're eating it has almost every food known in there with all the nutrient qualities and everything you set up a plan in there and you have four different plans to set up you want to learn lose a half a pound a day or a week a pound a week a pound and a half or two pounds a week and it calculates and tells you you can look at your fitbit watch thing at any given time and it'll tell you how many calories you've burned today, how many calories you have left you can eat. And if you set up that weight loss plan, it's going to calculate it based on that. But the thing is, if you don't do any activity, it starts cutting back how many calories you're allowed to have. So I've had days where I, I got halfway through the day and I'm like, wow, I, I can't literally eat anything. So I went out and I rode my bike or I went out and worked out with some martial arts stuff. And you burn more calories, and then it starts bumping up how many calories you can eat. So track it. And literally, these things cost $125. I mean, if you really want to get your health and fitness back, $125 is nothing. I don't even have a job right now. I, I make very little, but I found $125 so I can track my calorie burn. So yes. I, I really, yay. I'm with you. Yep. Yep. They're, they're, they're really good. Um, and I live by mine every single day and it, it's, and it's actually something that I observed from you just being, you know, in your presence talking about this, that I adopted into my life. So thank you for that. Nice. You're well, you're welcome. I'm really glad to hear that. I, I love helping people. So if, if I was able to help you a little bit, that's just awesome. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I want to move on and, and talk about something I know uh, that you're also passionate about. And you, you say being tired all the time as you mature is not normal. So let's help people understand this. You know, as we get older, you know, we, we, we tend to hear this from people. I'm so tired. I even hear with, with the younger generation as well. 
So, but talk about Keith, why this topic is so important to you. Okay, um, I think this topic really ties into our standard diet. Okay, a lot of our diet is high in carbs or high in sugars. And this puts a sugar spike into your system and then a drop. And it, it, it drains us of energy. Now, one of the things, when I went to get back into shape and I was at 218 pounds, I literally thought, well, I can't do with, live without donuts, man. I, I need donuts in my life. And I crave donuts. How can I get rid of these cravings? And the funny thing is, is after an initial period of cutting yourself off, once you get your body into a more stable diet position, those cravings were caused by the fact that you were eating that stuff. Once you stop eating that, the cravings will go away. And, and it's, you, you'll find like, wow, okay, my mind switched to the fact that, wow, I see donuts now as the reason I was 218 pounds, the reason why I was always tired. Um, I, I've cut back on my coffee intake as well because you think of coffee as a boost to your energy, but it also will do that drop-off thing. So you end up drinking coffee all day, and that boosts your blood pressure, right? I just had a talk with somebody that I got him convinced. He was drinking a pot a day, and he said, well, I, I thought that was um, a limit. And I said, no. <laughs> but our standard American diet loaded with carbs and sugars is the reason we always feel tired. And in, in a few years ago, they used to promote Snickers bars as that boost you need in the afternoon. I'm like, no, man, this is a profit game. It keeps you buying Snickers bars. But we really need to look at the fact that growing up in the West, I mean, I personally see our diet, standard diet as an eating disorder. Okay, because we, we go to, we've got super size me. Our meals portions are huge. You look around the world and compare our portions to theirs and we're like, wow, we're eating three times what anybody else is. And I go to France and those people are eating heavy butter stuff all the time, but they're eating small portions and they walk a lot. There's the, if you go to France right now, you can pick out the Americans because they're the ones that are overweight. Okay, and they're obvious in those crowds. Our diet is literally slowly killing us. And a lot of it is because it causes that energy spike and then drop off. So we're like, oh, man, I just feel tired. And the longer you go and being overweight um, means that you have to, it takes more energy to move than, than it does if you drop some pounds. So there's a lot of contributing factors, and I think it all gets back to our current diet. And we have to learn, that, and that's another thing these Fitbit trackers will help. Because they're going to tell you, no, you want to lose weight, you're out of calories today unless you go do some activity. And, and then you'd burn the calories and you're allowed to eat more. So I, I, there's so many times that I'm going to get back to get a fitness tracker um, and incorporate it in your daily life. It'll actually track your sleep habits. This is amazing. When, once I got this, and again, water, we don't drink enough water. Water flushes toxins out of our bodies. And the minute I started working with this, I, I was reminded, oh, I need to drink more water. So now I'm up to easily doing 64 ounces of water a day. Um, and, and before I thought, that's just way too much water to drink in a day. No, it's not. It, yeah, it, I, think, 
I think the stat you told me was, you know, 75% of Americans are chronically dehydrated, right? That's, yes. a, that's a big number. And people don't even know they're dehydrated, right? What is, what does that do to our overall health? Okay. Initially, some of the things you might notice is you're a little lightheaded and you don't have a lot of energy because that gets back to the energy too. If you're not, if you're not hydrated, so everything can flow, it, it'll tap your energy. On a long-term basis, like I, like you said, I did say, and this is actually an accurate figure, 75% of Americans are chronically dehydrated. Chronic dehydration um, increases your chances of heart disease, increases your chance of kidney problems. It increases your chance of all kinds of brain functions not working. So, um, and then you look at the statistics of people over 50 in the country, and we have a high incidence of Alzheimer's disease. I'm going to say it gets, that's tied to dehydration and chronic. There are so many health issues that are really serious health issues that are tied to chronic dehydration. So I, I buy 16-ounce glasses and literally just got to drink four of those a day, and I've got my water output. And will you be going to the bathroom a little more often in the early stages? Yeah, but your body will adjust to that. And it'll start, you know, absorbing that and getting the nutrients from it. But it, it is important. And we really got to kick that dehydration habit. Keith, this has been so enlightening. Uh, just a great conversation. I know people will get a lot of benefit from it. Tell us about your day-to-day. -day. How could people reach you if they're interested? What are types of things you're helping people with? Is it um, remote as well as in person? Give us a little bit of what you're up to. Um, at this point, most of what I do is on Zoom. Um, I, I do a lot. I can't really teach the martial arts or the Tai Chi part on Zoom, but I've taught a lot of just mindset things, and I work with people on helping them devise a workout plan. And I do custom workout plans because throughout my life, since I have had to, I did have to start early and keep myself strong and fit throughout my life. So I've not only worked on a lot of Chinese methods, I've tried literally every Western workout plan you know of, and I've, I've done them to see what they do and whether I tune into it or not. So I can help people devise custom workout plans because part of it is I can't just tell somebody you got to work out because that is a turnoff to a lot of people. I don't like to work out. Well, there's an activity that I know there's an activity that you actually do like that burns calories and keeps you fit. We just gotta work through it and figure out which part that is. I mean, is it skiing? Is it rollerblading? Is it gardening? There's all kinds of activities. So I work with people to, to figure that out and they can contact me by at my website, monkwithoutthefunk.com or my email address, Keith at monkwithoutthefunk.com. Um, and once they contact me, um, I, I tend to work with anybody with whatever needs they have because I do have a lot of experience with a lot of different workout methods. Um, I've just almost finished with a doctoral program that taught Eastern and Western science medicine. So I've got a lot of knowledge from that. I tend to think if you want a workout specialist, I'm the guy. All right. There's, there's nobody that knows this better than me. And I know that sounds terrible, but I talk to a lot of workout people and they tend to be laser focused in one area or laser focused in this area. I, I'm looking at all of it. 
And if I see a workout plan I haven't done, I usually sign up for it because I'm like, oh, what is this? Oh, CrossFit. Oh, let's check that out. And it's like, well, don't do that. But <laughs> I have reasons. But um, yeah, I, I, you can contact me through that email or on my website. There's a contact form. Um, and, and I readily respond. I check my emails multiple times a day. I respond to everyone. Fantastic. Uh, two last questions before I let you go, Keith. The first one is, if you were to pick up your cell phone and call the 20-year-old you, what would you tell him? <laughs> I would definitely tell him, stay on track, man. I, I, I really think that I would, I would warn them that after 35, I got lazy <laughs> and not to do that. But at the same time, I, I think that was a good thing that I let myself get out of shape and get back into shape because now I can actually tell people, yeah, you can do that over 40. It's not a problem and it's not inevitable. So I would just tell myself, do what you do, man. And Keith, last question. I ask every guest this before I let them go. Uh, and I know you still have a lot of life to live and you, you brought a lot of value here today. But at the end of the day, What's your mission? What do you want your legacy to be? Um, if, if, if I'm going to leave a legacy, I see, I don't, I, I think, now this is a radical thing, but I, I still, as a kid, I believe that death shouldn't be inevitable. I still believe that. Um, and I, I have scriptures I could back that up with, but we won't go into that. If there's going to be a legacy, I would say that it's just got to be, you can stay fit and strong. You can age with style. Okay, you can age with grace. You can do so many more things than what people tend to think they can do over 40. Um, I, I've heard that retirement, somebody told me once that you're, because I was teaching at a college, and because of that, I was clearly in the final phase of life. And I'm like, wow, no, this is just another chapter, man. There's, there's, you should get final phase out of your head. This is just another chapter. Wow. Keith, welcome to the American Real Family. You are a breath of fresh air. This was a fabulous conversation. I know I learned a lot today. I know our guests have learned a lot today. We're going to have to have you back to talk about more of the spiritual side, because I think people will get value from that as well. Thank you so much for coming on today. We'll post your website and your email address so people could contact you. And thanks so much. You're welcome. And just let me know if and when you want me back. I'd love to do it. I, I love these podcasts and I just have so much fun doing it. And I would love to share the spiritual aspect a little deeper. We'll do it. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for tuning into American Real. Be sure to visit our website, AmericanReal.tv, or search for us on iTunes or YouTube for past episodes. While you're there, please rate us or leave us a review as that helps others find our show. I am truly grateful and appreciate all of your support. If you'd like to be part of our inner circle or want one-on-one -on -one coaching, check out the American Real Learning Academy, where we have self-help groups and courses so you can build the best you. We also have a new Facebook group where you can connect with high achievers from around the world. If you want to go even further, maybe you're determined to write your own book or launch your own podcast, contact me today to see if we could help. You can reach me through Instagram or Facebook or email me directly at roger at americanreal.tv. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you 
next week.